I'm here with my co-host, uh, Mike Malsom. Hello. And we're also here with uh, two musicians and storytellers. Uh, we have Kelleran Millam. Hello. And Michael Millam. Hello. Hello. Oh, thanks. For, yeah, thanks for coming. Uh, we have a guitar in the studio. That's going to sound cool. Uh, we're going to have some singing. We're going to have all kinds of stuff. Uh, legal ID, real quickly before we start. You're listening to KYRS Medical Lake Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FM. All right. Now that we got the business out of the way, uh, welcome again. Thanks for coming. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yeah, a little bit of confusion um, about the meeting place. <laughs> My apologies for that. Uh, first of all, let's talk about why I invited you here today in particular. Absolutely. You are telling a story tonight at the Pivot event at the Washington Cracker Building at 7. I am. Can you give us a little bit of a um, teaser for what we might be hearing tonight? Oh, absolutely. So, my story begins on an empty sidewalk in an artsy industrial district of Portland, Oregon. The evening is warm and um, is sinking into my skin. I stand facing two steel doors that by all accounts should be open. <laughs> That's a good teaser. I know it is, because then mine, <laughs> I've heard the story and I think, well, do they open? Yeah. But I do know the answer to that question. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be at the Washington Cracker Building tonight at 7 for the Pivot event to hear uh, the rest of Kellerin's story. You can be there. Uh, so, uh, actually, what might be interesting is for you to just tell us kind of from the beginning how this whole thing started, uh, how you two met, how the, how the music started, uh, how you got to this place where you are right now. Yeah, absolutely. You should feel that the start. Which part? When we, how we met. Oh, how we met. Yeah, sure. We have a mic up and running here. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. So the deal on this is this dates back a ways. And I won't say how long, but it's been a while. I was a freshman at the University of Washington. And I caught wind that uh, a young lady, a friend of mine in our hometown, which is Pullman, Washington, had convinced the school district to shut down for half a day to do a um, school district-wide arts festival. And I thought, well, that's pretty outrageous. I must skip class and drive back and see this, which is precisely what I did. So while walking on a tour of the high school, I mean, there was art in every corner as people were out, you know, doing sculpture. The, every every part of the wall was covered up with people's paintings. There was plays going on, musical performances. As we came juggling, all sorts of stuff. In fact, one of the guys became a great juggler. You can see him on Alki Beach. Uh, we ran into him in the summer. But I digress. As we came down, uh, myself and my friend, as we came down this hallway, I heard this beautiful voice wafting out. And it was a Joni Mitchell song. As we came around the corner, there was Keller and underneath a balcony singing the song a cappella. I turned to my friend and I said, hey, introduce me to her. <laughs> so that's basically my end of the, t the tale. Yeah. And my end of the tale is that I had grown up on a really small town on the reservation, and um, there were multiple reasons, but um, one of which was that the school was shutting the music program. So we moved. To, we had moved to Pullman that year. So that was my first year in the big city of Pullman, Washington. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I just thought I'd died and gone to heaven just to be surrounded by, to, to have access to the arts, to be surrounded by the arts, and to get to participate in something like that. And what's funny is that I remember very clearly from my 10-year high school reunion, all of my classmates had been freshmen 
when Michael was a senior, and he had been uh, ASB president, and he'd been incredibly kind, and all of these wonderful things. So, so even when I w- when I got to town and was you know with my classmates. I, I had a chip on my shoulder about this this mythical figure of Michael Millen. Like, well, who is this guy? And he, you know, he can't be that great. And <laughs> so, and <laughs> and it's are. so funny <laughs> because I knew who he was. But what's funny to me is he has to tell that first part of the story because I don't actually remember that meeting. I do now because, of course, the way memory works is we, rem- we remember the last time we remembered something. Right. So I know the story so well, but I really don't remember that. What I remember is the, that following summer being introduced by a mutual friend and us just us becoming friends. Yeah, through the, through the um, art and music scene in Pullman, yeah. of which there was plenty at the time, probably yeah. still is, college yeah. town. And yeah. when did you start playing music together? Sort of almost immediately. I yeah. mean, I can remember wandering over to my guitar and we'd jam on Joni Mitchell tunes and whatnot. And then uh, we also had the opportunity to go to music school together. We're mm-hmm. both from the Lionel Hampton School of Music, mm-hmm. uh, local products. We trained down there at the University of Idaho with uh, mm-hmm. Charlie Walton and voice and James Reed yeah. guitar and everybody else under the sun, Dan Buckfitch in theory and, mm-hmm. and uh, Mary Dupree in history, et cetera, et cetera. So we started, I mean, she sang on my senior recital. I have a distinct memory of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we just sort of kept at it. If you do something long enough, eventually it'll come together. And we've been playing for over 25 years at this point. I think so, yeah. And we've moved through. I mean, as we have changed and grown, we've really moved through multiple genres. So, And I really have because I just there's not a single genre I can let go. So at this point, you know, I'm performing with Michael, and then I sit in with the Roots Rock Band on Friday nights, and I'm also doing jazz. And um, But this is my heart and soul. This is, you know, Michael's my main gig. <laughs> <laughs> and what is your main gig? Tell us yeah. about, tell the listeners about your main gig. So when we, well, I don't know, you could talk about this a little bit, but when we first really started, when we really started writing together and performing, kind of back when we, I pretty much when we had first moved to Spokane, we had all of this classical training, and we also had an equal love and interest in world music. And so our our writing ended up being this amalgamation of that training and then a lot of different world music influences. And even back then, I could see that there were some jazz influences and things coming in. But we were we were pretty adamant that at the time, we pretty much only did music that we'd written. And... Uh, but then over the years, and especially actually connected to my pivot story, we um, getting kind of back into academia, we've also spent a good chunk of time really getting back into that rep, into classical rep, into that training, into that music, and have now kind of moved through that and are coming back around sort of full circle. So I, what I'm most interested in this moment in my life is where, what are we going to be writing? What's going to happen next? as we kind of get back into that aspect of who we are musically. So I was going to say, as a lot of writing, do you guys have a, a kind of your own little formula on how you write your music in terms of the collaboration process? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, maybe just tell there's, us a little bit about that. There's, there's several different ways that that comes about. Um, and and when, when I say this, this, this will make a, a fair amount of sense. I might come up with an idea on guitar, for example, and it'll be mostly fleshed out. And then I'll approach Kel with this and she'll listen to it and see what images come from you know the particular emotional veil coming off of the 
strings of the guitar and then write lyrics around that. And that produces, as you might imagine, a specific set, a type of music that is you know, very experiential. And then there's other times where Kel will have a completely formulated uh, lyric, a body, and there's chorus, verse, it's all done. And then it's up to me to orchestrate underneath it, which produces an entirely different sound, as you might imagine. And then, of course, the third way is where one of us will have a little snippet that's not formed at all. And we'll bounce it off each other and get kind of this feedback loop. And that yields an entirely different sound. And as we move through exploring, particularly, I, I should probably mention part of our gig, in addition to being performers and composers, we still do about 100 shows a year, have for decades. Uh, we also are educators. Uh, Kel with her mm-hmm. private voice studio and also representing the jazz vocal faculty at Gonzaga. And then I also teach at Gonzaga and EW guitar. And so you can't help but have uh, those experiences, the people that you're around, the faculty, the students and their rep, all of that colors what you do. So Mm -hmm. we've sort of absorbed um, the academic side by being involved in that process. There's a, oh, keep going. I was just going to say, we were um, down in the the Tri-Cities just last Friday, and and one of the things they wanted to talk about was different options for careers in music. When people say, well, what's your gig? The reality is it's not a singular thing. It doesn't even matter who you are. Um, Even the guitarist from Manhattan Transfers from Spokane, by the way, had other stuff that he did on the side, working with John Tester, Bette Midler, uh, people that direct string programs also play in the orchestra. So the gigs include writing for magazines, uh, blogging, doing studio work. Kel mm-hmm. does a lot of studio mm-hmm. voiceover mm-hmm. Uh, for other artists, coaching other artists, uh, producing albums. We both produce albums for other people, uh, which is not as glamorous as it sounds. Producing mm-hmm. just means you listen to it and give them suggestions. I think it might be better if you did this this way. So it's not super heavy handed. Not There's no like, you know, beats from Vanilla Ice or something that we're putting in there. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the list is they're, they're, the gigs, it's a multifaceted thing, and it's like, you know, um, an, an artichoke heart or a thousand petal lotus flower. There's many different ways of approaching the gigs. So from here on, we should always ask musicians, what are your gigs with the S in it? And we'll probably get a more interesting answer. That's true. I'm going to make that a, a habit from here on. Well, that's interesting because, I mean, to make money at music is certainly mm-hmm. not easy. And as you're talking about that, uh, it my first thought is, Shouldn't it be easier for a musician to make money? But then my second thought is, do you think that doing all those side things is what keeps you fresh? I mean, do you, do you like that aspect of it? The, the, the fact that you have your fingers or that musicians have their fingers in so many different aspects of it? You go first. I think you know, I know the yeah, answer. It's, it's interesting because every, it, literally you could put 20 people in a room, 20 artists, and they're all going to have a different answer to that. For me, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. I I love doing voiceover work. I love just walking into a room and not knowing what the script is going to be and having to kind of essentially sight read and get it and then throw it down and get highly creative and throw down harmonies. And then you walk out and it's done, which is completely different from taking months and months and months to really get deep inside of, let's say, like a classical aria and then actually really bring it to life again. Completely different from writing, completely different from doing blues, completely different from coaching. Teaching has just become an absolute passion of mine. It is, it's something that you give, you get as much as you receive. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's necessary. And, and that's the thing. Like, if you're going to be a musician, right, if that is the life that you want, you, you kind of have to make sure it's really, 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 really what you want. Because if it really, really is, if it's absolutely your life path, then, then it doesn't, it's not such a drag to do what it takes. So that would be my answer. 
I think we're, we're largely on the same page. The other side of that is the more things you do, the more influences you have. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's people out there that actually think I can play jazz. And I'll tell you, I know real jazz players all over the mm-hmm. coast, and I am not one of them <laughs> by any means. But by hanging around those folks and being sort of browbeat into supporting their, their activities, I've learned a little bit about that's then gone on to color what we do. And again, I wouldn't claim to be any great jazz artist, but I've absorbed that influence. Uh, students, of course, are always coming with modern music that I wouldn't be exposed to if we didn't have access to young people's ideas. Mm-hmm. So I get to show them, like, my life experience. They get to bring what's new, and it's a nice symbiotic uh, approach. So I, I think uh, the more things you do, the more input you have into your playing and your artistry, the better player and artist you'll be ultimately. E- so should it be easier? Maybe, maybe not. You know, if it was easy, I'd probably still be doing the same thing I was doing when we started. Right. I don't have yeah. any way of answering right. that. Really. Right. Do you think Spokane is in a, a better place now than it was, say, maybe 15 years ago? In terms of that, oh. uh, more widespread... Uh, influences of different artists of different genres even different mediums we have performing arts now and the music scene seems like it's growing and very supportive and collaborative as well as the visual arts but i think getting exposed to as many different things Mm -hmm. somehow washes off on all of us a little bit but it must have some influence on you absolutely i Winston an interview years ago talking about the scene when we first started it wasn't going to a place that had music like the Bartlett saying hey can we get in here where it was going to place saying hey have you ever thought about doing music we could actually <laughs> do this you know places mm-hmm. that you know became very well known for it the shopper or, or you know the rocket market for example places like mm-hmm. that you know those were all fledgling when we started out and what we've seen is is a real big city uh, scene grow up around us. Now, I have to just segue since um, I don't want to. There's some things about Kel's story that I wouldn't want to do a spoiler on, so I'm just going to tell a totally different story. <laughs> when we were in Seattle doing um, the the artwork and, and the, putting in an order for our second CD, uh, Live at the Shop is what it was called. So we got all the graphics laid out, we got everything mastered, we're working with our guy and we got everything done, and we step out on the porch. It's a rainy Seattle day, and we're just out there in downtown. And the guy, you know, he's, he's wanting to get a cigarette break, so we're standing out there politely with our, our, the guy's managing our project and he kind of leans back and takes a drag and a cigarette blows out this puff and he turns to us and goes yeah you guys have it going on in Spokane it's really amazing and he proceeds to list all the venues that sprung up in the last little while I just about fell off the porch he's this guy that's in the music industry in Seattle and he's telling us how cool Spokane is but you know he was right there's a lot going on here, a lot of art. Yeah, there is a lot going And there's just several, you know, there was that way back, there was that book that was written called The Tipping Point. And I just mm-hmm. see all yeah, of these sure, various, sure. So like, and you may not mm-hmm. recognize it in the moment, but retrospectively you can bl- look back and say, that was a tipping point, that was a tipping point. And, you know, I have this theory about Spokane, it's like because of all the basalt, like there's so much basalt that like growth is slow, growth is slow or more importantly if something is like a dramatic growth like like the world's fair or something like that it doesn't necessarily last but anything that's just this slow organic growth you know that's the cool thing is i feel with everything that's happening right now it's going to stay it's going to last it's not going to be this sort of momentary epic thing and then kind of fall away i really think that we're yeah, we're just building into the kind of community that I always wanted to live in, and it feels good to actually have been part of that process. Mm-hmm. Instead of going somewhere to be where I wanted to be, it's like, oh my gosh, like where I wanted to be has kind of grown up around me, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Which is a pretty elegant and simple solution when you get right down to it. 
Yeah. What, what you said about the growth, it's like, you know, like Hoop Fest that started out with a couple of people just mm-hmm. doing, you know, three, three on three turn. Whose idea was it? And now it's the largest one in the world. You know, I mean, how did that happen? Perry District is another example. Started with one coffee shop and some guys that were just rented it to start a band, basically. That's what they were doing. And then they said, well, as long as we have this thing, we should just sell some coffee to it to help pay it down. And now you drive up the Perry District and there's, you know, I mean, I right. went by the other day and there's a Ferrari parked in front of Casper Fry with you know, <laughs> important people in there yeah. eating important food and drinking important scotch. And that's yeah. just really <laughs> remarkable to yeah. see that. That is very and the music festivals that you know volume just I mean there's Mm -hmm. just so Mm -hmm. much so much happening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not only are are local people staying in town and helping build the scene. I mean, it's starting to attract other people. From uh, Mike was talking before the show about uh, people thinking about was it your son? Yeah. That was looking at what it would cost to live in Portland. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I was just telling. these guys have the same thing, $2,000 a month, you know, for a small 1,500-square-foot place to rent, I mean. And, and you have to move out more on the outskirts of Portland and, and the, uh, you know, how they're built into those quadrant neighborhoods. And in mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Seattle, same thing, you know. So we have – it's kind of like if you build it, they'll come. And, and Spokane is offering, I think, the best of both worlds, both economically, for artists to afford mm-hmm. to live here. But there's something to come to and contribute to, which I think is the most amazing part. Because I think everybody grows together once uh, you have all of this collaboration and meeting points, you know, mm-hmm. and chance conversations. And pretty soon you've got a connection. And yeah. Yeah, I think that's really... It was wild for me to think, like, it, there was a point where terrain didn't exist. And <laughs> now we have this, inc- right? Like, the, all mm-hmm. of these incredible organizations mm-hmm. that have just popped up technically fairly recently so it's it's exciting it's an exciting time i get the sense that spokane is a little bit like vienna in 1825 or paris in the 20s or brazil in the late 50s you know it's it's become a scene and i don't know how long that's going to last or whether the sine wave is still going up or whether we just have no way of knowing until history shines back on it but right now it's a good place to be a lot of fun, a lot of excitement. Well, let's just hope it stays like basalt, you know? Yeah. Right. Basalt doesn't go anywhere, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Slow That's and steady wins the race. Measured, like any good progress. Right. Any good right. progress. They talk about that with like habits, with life changes, with health, with any of that. It's like slow, measured progress. Yeah. It's not right. sexy, it's not exciting, but it's stable. Well, let's hope so. So, a couple of you mentioned this word a couple of times, and then Mike did too, Michael and Mike, uh, the word influences. Uh, I'm just curious uh, what your guitar influences are, and then Keller mm-hmm. and what your vocal mm-hmm. influences are. Where, what, what do you? I mean, we're, we're, not necessarily who do you sound like, but who who inspired you? So, and absolutely, and influences. If they're true influences, you'll absorb, you'll study. I mean, the Beatles started out as a cover band, which is remarkable to think about. You know, Lennon McCartney. Uh, when you study and, and really delve into somebody's art that inspires you that becomes part of who you are and at first it's an imitation when you're younger but then if you get enough people it's the old joke about if you steal from one person's plagiarism you steal from a hundred you're a genius <laughs> so in, in, in sort of chronological order the melodic rock of the 80s you know and I'm talking mm-hmm. stuff that it's so weird when I say metal you know heavy metal everybody has an idea of what that's like now because there's Swedish Scandinavian you know hurdy degree metal but I'm really talking about the early you know, heavy rock acts, you know, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, things like that, which is very melodic, as well as, you know, the 70s finger-picking of the era, you know, Gordon Lightfoot, Dan Folkerberg, and then, of course, moving on into classical lit, lots of classical guitars, guitars, Julian Bream, huge, 
And then there was this little period of time, uh, uh, sort of a virtual neighborhood, was this label called Wyndham Hill mm. that had mm. all these amazing artists, Alex de Grazi and, and Pierre Bensoussan and Michael Hedges. And I'm really happy to say I was able to meet all of them. In fact, I had a chance to bring some of them out here to do concerts. Um, unfortunately, Michael's no longer with us. Otherwise, I would have moved heaven and earth to get that guy out here to do a concert. Mm. Uh, but so those, that, I would say those were the primary things. So... American pop music of my youth, classical music, and then this isolated art guitar thing that still continues to this day. You know, Alex DeGrasse was just here last year. Um, you know, the Leon Axon brought him in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then let's, a lot of vocalists, too, because I'm around a singer. So yeah. with that. Yeah, it's interesting because as I reflect, there's so much music that we have shared that has also, like, he brought a lot into my life just in terms of authors and writers and inspiration and music and things of that nature. What's fascinating to me is at this point in my life, so much further down the river, I still can think back to the albums that my parents had when I was three, four, Mm. right? Three, four, five, around in there. And there was a, it was like this weird split mix of a lot of R&B and soul and kind of Celtic folk music and folk and when i look at the the two places where i tend to that kind of always live in my music regardless of what i'm doing and definitely show up in my writing it's those two influences so roberta Mm -hmm. flack was absolutely a first very very primary influence for me and it's funny because you wouldn't necessarily hear it at least within the context of what i do with michael but i when I look at throughout the decades, the the artists that have inspired me to a one, they have been songwriters. They have been authentic and um, not afraid to push boundaries or even perhaps lose an audience in order to grow. So, and that would be like firmly in that camp would be Joni Mitchell. Mm. Like she, I mean, she's lost and gained more audiences because she just kept pushing. And, and, and I love her particularly because she is someone who came from a folk tradition and moved into jazz, which is also a part of my story. So I have to raise my hand at this point. I <laughs> believe, I believe because we got the email, I think it's Joni Mitchell's 75th birthday I think so. today. Oh, wow. I, I believe that's so. Nice. Because there's some sort of film that's being broadcast on Netflix or something that's a tribute to her. Yeah. So. Well, maybe after I take this little break, do you know a Joni Mitchell song that you could sing? <laughs> oh, unfortunately, I don't think uh, so. Okay, okay. I Sorry know. to put you on the spot like that. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm going to take a little uh, housekeeping. I mean, yes, but no. <laughs> yes, but no. <laughs> no, right, no. little housekeeping, and then we'll come back, and, and I want to hear a song. I want to hear all these influences. Uh, see if I can hear Judas Priest somewhere in there. Okay, uh, so again, you're listening to KYRS, Medical Lake Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FM. And here's a little promo for another show. One of my former students at Lewis and Clark High School. It didn't come through. Praxis, putting a theory into practical use. Every week, hear stories from our city, region, and world about people putting ideas into motion. Join your host, Taylor, that's me, in interviews with activists, artists, academics, and anyone shaking up systems with radical action. Tune in live Mondays at 4 p.m. right here on KYRS Thin Air Community Radio. 
All right, and we also have a public service announcement. Uh, Saranac Art Projects, located at 25 West Main Avenue, presents an exhibition of artworks inspired by and related to the written word now through February 28th. This show will utilize both the gallery spaces, both of the gallery spaces, and includes works in various media by the Saranac Art Projects members and invited artists. More information at www.saranacartprojects.org. All right, so do you uh, do you two know what song you want to play? What do you want to do? Hello, goodbye. Okay. That's a lot of influences. Okay. Yeah. okay. Is there any introduction for this? You do or? that while I do a, a quick... So a when quick we first uh, got out of music school and had begun the process of writing, we, we, we kind of wanted to shake off a little bit of that sort of dust of it must be thus and and get into a place of being able to, to be creative and flow. And so we, this is our sort of improvis, improvisatory framework that we collaborated on. You know, and truth be told, when we started, it was still pretty rigid. Mm. <laughs> it, was still, it was still pretty structured. It was like there wasn't a lot of surprises. Now, now we get to a place where it will, f- depending, and that's, that's the thing I love about sharing music, is literally the environment, the people occupying that environment. It's, for me, it's a group effort. So whoever happens to be there influences what happens. And, yeah, so we'll see what happens this time. Fierro, que barote, 
Yeah. That's awesome. That was awesome. Mike was bebopping over Jeez. here like crazy. Tell us about what we just heard. What 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 did we just hear? <laughs> That's a good question. A journey. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, what you just heard is a conversation. There you go. I definitely could hear a lot of the influences that you were just talking about uh, with Eric's question. You know, a few of the little just jazz harmonies. You know, some of that scatting. It sounded a little mm-hmm, bit mm-hmm. all of that stuff, and yet had kind of that world music feel yeah. to it. Yeah. Yes. Really good. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, it, it seems like, you know, working together for such a, you know, a long time together, you kind of, you have to be in sync in some way. And, and your music, your, the authenticity of your music really comes through. Do you have also a philosophical um, foundation that kind of influences your music and how you live that comes through in your music? I definitely think so. Um, you know, Michael, obviously you can speak for yourself. It, you know, and it's, it's, it's a tiny little portion, but in the, it's just a quick segue. I just love that the, something like Pivot is happening. I, uh, speaking of authenticity and, you know, just what that's based on. So it's very briefly touched on in, in, my, in my Pivot story tonight. But um, for me, music is all about healing. It's all about creating space you know, and not and not necessarily even dictating what that looks like. You know, like I know for several of my students, like I really feel like a big portion of their life is to just get people out on the floor and to get them moving and to sort of really and in, like inhabit themselves in a different way, right? To sort of shake off the dust of the world. And you know, for me personally, music has been it's been a safe place. It's it's been a place to grow. It's been a place to heal. And early on, I figured out that oh, like this is what it is for me. And if I really train and perfect my technique, which is the vessel. It's all it is. It's just the vessel. If I perfect my vessel, then that's an opportunity to just drop in and actually share that gift with other people. And if they don't have something like that in their lives, it's an opportunity to help them also find that. So it's it's always kind of that foundation. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily present, but um, but for me, it always is. I would I would say that I concur with all of that. I also think that uh, you, you touched on, Kel said that it's a conversation. That's a big part of, uh, you know, we, we consider ourselves two equal instruments. Mm-hmm. In fact, when we were mm-hmm. checking sound, you know, for an outdoor festival and talking to sound people, like, just keep it 50-50. Sometimes I'll be louder, sometimes I'll be louder. We just want an equal balance because, you know, we'll, we'll hand off, like a good conversation, we'll hand off uh, a moment in front of the microphone. And then beyond that, you know, this overarching, this might sound a little far out, but when I play a string, I always tell my students this, that's a vibration. Right now it's 110 times a second passing through a medium we can feel, the atmosphere, the air. And what that means is that when I play, whether there's three people in the room or 3,000, the minute I play this, I'm setting a vibration. I'm physically touching the people in the room, admittedly with their permission, assuming that they bought a ticket or they just didn't wander <laughs> in. And, or, you know, if they came to the room to hear the music, I'm using an instrument or a tool to affect their emotions via remote control and laying hands on them physically. And I've never forgotten that. And, so, and, and also they've donated their time, not just, you know, whatever the cost of the ticket is, but they've shown up. So mainly this idea of a conversation, and then if there's any attitude, it's the idea of making sure that people get something emotionally out of the experience because they've given me permission to lay hands on them. I don't take it lightly. Yeah, it's a responsibility. It it's is. kind of an odd thing to think about it, but it really is. It's a responsibility. And, and also within the nature, it's, this kind of traces back to that idea of, of how many things do you have to do to craft a life in the arts. 
And, you know, the way that I tend to say it is sometimes we are the thing and sometimes we're part of the thing. And you really have to recognize, look to get the value for yourself and all of it, but also recognize which one you're in. So I, I love pin drop environments where I'm at my absolute best is a pin drop listening artist where I can forget about myself, completely drop in and just go. Lots of times we're playing in, you know, a really active coffee house with a, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. And it's not that people aren't there, there for the music. They're totally there for the music, but they're there for the music to be part of what they're doing, mm, yeah. which is connecting with their friends or having a good meal or reading a good book and or so doing whatever it is. So then it's like we and I actually consider that to be of equal value. It's it, it affords me a chance to kind of drop in in a different way um, because it's it's really I mean, I never think it's about me, but it's really not about me. <laughs> so, yeah, but all all in all, I mean, it is it's it's. It's a responsibility. And if there's one criticism that could be leveled at us as a duo, and I think it's a valid one, so that we're occasionally guilty of turning the little wine bar corner, you know, coffee shop thing into Carnegie Hall. But you know, we try to keep a grip on that dynamically. But but if we're there, we have to do the best because at some mm-hmm. level, people are absorbing mm-hmm. what we're playing. And it doesn't mean it always works out. I mean, we're human. We make mistakes. But uh, but the idea that if somebody's in the room, we have to give it our best shot. So uh, when we did the um, Bing Crosby thing, one of our friends that had seen us at a million places said, you know, you just did the same thing you always do. There's more people to hear it. That's why it was a big deal. I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Yeah. You know? When he says <laughs> the, big, com- the Bing compliment. Crosby thing, that's actually how I ended up teaching at Gonzaga is a good friend of ours had actually popped in to Chaps one night and saw me actually trading off in chest voice, which you haven't heard yet, <laughs> but trading off uh, solos with an electric guitar. It's a beautiful story and ties back to the making a living thing. So this is Yeah, mm-hmm. and so... Um, you know, and that's, I mean, that gig, it's my happy place. It's just a chance to go and spontaneously do, and we never rehearse, and it's always fun, and there are different members, and it's a chance for me to do harmonies. It's a chance for me to, you know, just play, purely play. So people know what's going on. It's a roots rock thing, you know, Doobie Brothers, Eagles, Tom Waits, you know, um, Pink and Floyd. And some really high quality. Uh, the, the lead singer is just an amazing human being, and he's just gathered an incredible, um, just group of players that kind of rotate around mm. him so yeah. it's and really really fun people too and great players yeah too. you know because the thing is in terms of our our peers for michael and i and uh, you know other educators in the community i am mostly known as a hybrid classical singer like that's kind of you know like mm. this is this is my stick this is what i do unless you've heard me do voiceover work unless you've heard me do these other things you don't know that there's those pockets well he had happened in and was like oh I didn't know she could do this. So as it turned out, uh, they had planned to do an evening of sting with a different artist, and he couldn't do it. So I, I got the gig, which was wonderful. It was incredible. It was a stretch, but I believe in the power of yes. And so I said yes, and um, it ended up being an epic time. And what Michael's discussing is in the middle of the set, and let me tell you, I guess just got to say, singing with the jazz orchestra is one of the most incredible experiences of my life such i mean it's it's an amazing organization and it was fantastic and i get to do it again in 2020 right what are you doing in 2020 in 2020 in may of 2020 um i will be singing with the spokane jazz orchestra again and i think the theme is going to be the american songbook now and then which means we get to do a little bit of everything I'm ex- so excited. And I'm sure that Michael will be there for that as well. Um, you have the, the 80s rock moment. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's yeah. funny because our, our friend basically said, you get the gig, but here's the deal. You have this amazing guitarist, so like 
he has to come and at least do one song. And we actually we could do that yeah. today, but we we did. Uh, so our, was, that was the director Don Goodwin. He's yeah. no fool. He yeah. knew that A. Kel could do it, and B. I'd come along for the ride because yeah, yeah, yeah two for the press of one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's our motto. Um, he. Uh, yeah, we we ended up doing this this ballad of of uh, called Fragile by Sting, and it was literally like a, you could pin could drop, and there was a five minute uh, standing ovation in the middle of the concert. And from my perspective, it meant that I had achieved my goal because my goal was to take this incredible genre and this amazing music and bring a singer songwriter sensibility to it. Which means, like, we're here to be human. The intimacy and the emotional component. We're here to be human. And in all of our amazingness and all of our wretchedness, right? Like, everybody's welcome. Like, that's kind of my thing. That's my stick. And so, just, and you don't even have to speak it. It's just the intention. And so, it was like, okay, mission accomplished. (laughs) Yeah, right on. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was just, it was an incredible opportunity and... Um, and it was really fun to get to share it with Michael. It, kind of like today, right? It's like, oh, well, let's do this together. And then a, a side thing of that, of course, the, you know, the jazz, that's the, all the hot players are in that orchestra, right? So uh, the guy, you know, saxophonist in the front row, also directs the jazz program, Gonzaga. He came up to me afterwards, great guy. And he says, how is it we've never had her coach at the school before? I, know, I don't know. We should probably just ask her. So we did. So that's Which that's has how been that amazing. Also an incredible musician, wonderful guy, and um, who believed in me. So, so if you, you know this whole idea of making a living at music, if you're willing to say yes and push your boundaries, um, and I can tell you, I mean, fronting that orchestra is that pushed Kel a little bit. Playing a jazz part with a big band—that's not my thing. You know, I had to really woodshed that to to bring it up to the standard that they're used to having for their guitars. So, but the reward is that it became part of our influences, mm-hmm. influences, and it opened up another avenue of expression and friendship yeah. and even income for us. So, and I've been singing jazz since I was in high school. So, because it's one of the many genres that I just could not let go of. Like, I, I f- it feels so good to be at this stage in my life where I'm actually getting pretty decent at all the things I love. Because if you're not willing to let one go, you kind of are not super great at all of them for a while. <laughs> I've got to tell you about one of our friend and mentors, a guy named Dorian Michael from California Studio Guy. And Dorian's in his 70s at this point. But one time it was us, he has, he's known for two things. He has a dirty electric blues band that tours all over California, known mm-hmm. as Bad Sushi. It's super greasy, you know, Telecaster, gritty electric blues. All these guys been at it for years. Super awesome. But then he has this whole side thing where he plays this pristine, kind of Wyndham Hillish is what it is, art fingerstyle guitar that he writes all this stuff. And he has mm-hmm. a couple albums of that out. And one day I just, I said, how do you do both those? He goes, oh, man, I'll tell you. I just kind of dinked around with them for 35 years and 36 <laughs> years it all came together and now I can do it. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it yeah, which totally really awesome. was kind of what um, my next question though you talked about um, developing the vessel mm-hmm. and I, I think a lot of artists I think whether you're going to be a painter or a singer musician mm-hmm. or an actor or whatever have to realize that the um, the hard work that has to go in mm-hmm. to really um, develop the t- technique enough so that you can you can express really what you want to express mm-hmm. and so that hard work and discipline that that has to take place and it doesn't come in overnight. And I think some people, I think some young art artists or emerging artists think that well, this will happen just through inspiration alone, and not realize that there's there's a ton of hard work and practice that goes into that. Absolutely. And then the power of yes, you talked about that, which is really about risk taking, and that little thing you get in the, your stomach, you know, when you're about to venture out into something that's out of your comfort zone. Yeah. 
And then the potential for failure and how, failure and how you handle that as a growing mm-hmm. artist. Absolutely. You, yeah. Is that kind mm-hmm. of what you, where you were uh, as, as you went along your long journey, gone through all those stages? All those phases. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable to succeed in artists. You have to be willing to just live outside your comfort zone. And then that little thing that's uncomfortable becomes sort of comfortable. And you're into the next thing that makes you mm-hmm. uncomfortable. That's how you grow. Um, what you said about the, the talent, we went to a, um, an art showing in Seattle a number of years ago at the SAM, and it was called Intimate Expressionism. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason we drove over there was all the people you would recognize. It was the Monets and the Degas. It was all the Impressionists. And it was some big names. I mean, this was, you know, all, all of them represented, but there was no painting in there that was bigger than two feet by two feet. I think there's one that's maybe two by three. So it was all these little sketches. And we got to the part about the point of the George Surratt thing, you know, the Sunday part of the pointillism. He actually did a bunch of etudes, and there's this, there's this about 12-year period where he was trying to do this thing, and it had, he knew what he was trying to do, and it just didn't have this deal. And you could see he'd paint the same scene, and here's this thing in, you know, 18-whatever, and it's painted, and it's got these short brush strokes, kind of Van gogh and then the strokes got smaller and smaller over, like, this oh. 12-year period. And finally, it just became <laughs> dots. He's like, that's what I'm after. And they went and painted that thing that he's famous for that's been in all the movies. And I thought, wow, isn't that amazing? Artists are doing the same thing that, you know, a guitarist does when they're working on some little etude. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Absolutely. a real eye opener that you think that you know Monet's and they just were fully formed from the forehead of Zeus or something, and the reality is they yeah. just gutted out and tore up a lot yeah. of canvas. There is an element of just showing up and trusting the process, and you, and it's like rinse repeat. You show up, you trust the process. The interesting thing that I find it's definitely for myself, and I I definitely work with it with my students often is talking especially for voice students I'm a pretty holistic teacher and what that means is that I have a lot of anatomical understanding that I like to bring in and as well what is what's the emotional underpinning of what's happening because if someone is feeling a certain way they're never going to get their pharynx released they're never going to get their tongue root tension (laughs) dealt with you know because a singer is like we are we are our cathedral, so and it's all about resonance. It's about getting the fuel. It's about get, you know. There's there's so many component parts to get that right vibration. To get that, that, to get that right about. vibration, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, and if your self worth is completely hardwired, like your personal inner worth as a being, if that's hardwired into your art, it makes it very difficult. It makes it really, really challenging. So that is one of the first things that that I work with with students is to get to a place of you have to be willing to make a mistake. You have to be willing to skirt beyond that edge. You have to be willing to go for it. I mean, I intentionally, I knew I was walking into our rehearsal for Pivot. Like that it was that, that that I was looking for the things that I needed to help my story improve. Like I was ready for it. And I actually used it as a lesson for my students. It's like, okay, here's the deal. Like that was not so great. <laughs> but I didn't have my self worth wrapped up in it, so I was able to that take so the information. True, right? <laughs> right? That was the information that I needed to get myself to a better place. Mm-hmm. And if I had been all wrapped up if I had been personally wrapped up in it, I wouldn't have been able to receive what I needed. I, I, I want to go take that. Not only is it hamper your growth, but it's downright dangerous. And oh. I'm saying this because I'm sitting across from two career educators. Both of you have spent, you know, a lifetime working with young people. And this idea, they take a passion, music. Let's just take music example. And they get wrapped up in it. And then when it doesn't pan out, it takes years to do that. That's, that's incredibly dangerous. So there's one thing, I, if anybody is a young person just out there listening you just realize you just have to cast about the search in earnest be passionate about it but be patient treat yourself as you would your own child you know be mm-hmm. your own parent and watch it grow over a period of times so it's real tough when you're 
14 or 16 or even 18 or 48 or 50 or whatever. <laughs> to, to, to actually, you know, let go of that, to be invested in something, but also let go of the, you know, be willing to, you know, realize that all things take time. Yeah. 35 yeah. years if you want to do genres or whatever. That yeah. reminds me of uh, the, uh, since you're talking about advice, yeah. you asked Ira Glass, how did you get so good at your radio program? Yeah. And he said, <gasps> I was willing to be terrible for a really long mm-hmm. time. And he mm-hmm. said, you know, you get into something because you have taste. And then yep. you want to be up here. And then the first thing you do is way down there. And you have to be willing to be terrible for a very long time. And then he played on a radio program. He said, said, this is me four years into my career or however long. And he played it and he said, do you hear how terrible that was? And he just picked it apart and he said, four years in, I was still terrible, but I was willing to be terrible for a while. Mm -hmm. So yeah, trust that process. Keep going. Trust your muse. Trust the taste. It's funny because Michael brought that in. We use, we co-teach a songwriting class at EWU and Michael uses that quote That that quote is amazing. Ira Glass, of course, you'd have to appreciate what he does, you know, and oftentimes people haven't heard of Ira Glass, but if you have... That's a brilliant quote, and it's absolutely true. That's and you got to true. get it personally, which is fantastic. Oh, no, no, I didn't interview oh, okay. him. Oh, okay. no, 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 I was watching an interview oh, on gotcha, YouTube. Gotcha. I wish. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be amazing. Our, that's our goal. Someday, <laughs> yes. four, four years from now. We just keep staying <laughs> present, <laughs> right? Yeah. You were going to say something to me earlier, Mike. What were you going to well, say? Well, I was just going to say uh, um, to validate what Kellen was saying about the, the, the coaching when you're, like, the, with a pivot, you know, I – actually told a story too and uh the most valuable part of that when reflecting back was the rehearsal i just really appreciated the the feedback which just goes to show you can't really it's hard to grow in a vacuum Mm -hmm. and having people that you trust give you feedback on the process i mean that is an important part of the process absolutely it is it's it's a great part of what i like about pivot you have to like the process not the product for sure Uh, okay before we go i mean we only have about eight minutes left i (laughs) i would like to hear another song so you had mentioned earlier you thought you had one all set up for us and you know which one you want to perform can i say the theme for tonight is that sure okay so the theme for tonight is crossroads and of course you know i i think i don't know that you could have been on this planet for very long and not have had several So this song is about a different Crossroads story than the one that um, I'm going to share tonight. And this is about a car accident we were actually in, not of our choosing, and was it was pretty significant. It took it was about at the four year mark before I could blow dry my hair again. So it it was. uh, Yeah. And and as these things are, at least in my life, I almost always find the gift like my okay making machine was broken. And that forced me to go down a path of of really moving through history and fixing all the things and healing all the things that I had just made to be okay. (laughs) And, you know, and we were on this journey together. It was, yeah, separate and together. So, And what's the title of the song? Impact. Okay. Spoon! 
you saying I will be new again, I got goosebumps. <laughs> I like that a lot because it's it's kind of a plea, but it's also kind of a statement of it's both. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That was great. Uh, okay, thank you for that. Uh, we have about uh, two minutes left. <laughs> okay, so. Let's talk about, uh, I mean, the things that are going on for you, like now, in the future. I know you have uh, a weekly gig. Tell us about Mm -hmm. where people can find you, where people can hear you. Well, together, you can always find us, especially in in the winter. One of our main regular things that we do is we play in the wine bar at Europa. Um, It's a wonderful environment. It's happy hour all day. Um, and and we love it. I, yeah. I think I'm thinking about your recital too, yeah. Michael. You're, you're up on 125 Wall Street, underneath mm-hmm. the train trestle, and it's we usually just kind of hang out. It's an unadvertised gig. Have dinner with whoever shows up. A lot of fun. Um, yeah. So the recital. So speaking of people, Joey Mitchell turns 75. Uh, there's a great classical guitarist named Leo Brower from Cuba, uh, famous for a lot of things, including writing a bunch of guitar music. And his 80th birthday is on March 3rd. And um, there's a series of etudes, 20 of them, that all classical guitars are supposed to know. And I'm going to be perfectly honest. You know, in my younger years, I didn't learn all of them. I still had a couple to go. So I polished off the last couple. And I'm going to do all 20 of those etudes as a homage to his 80th birthday, on his 80th birthday in the student chapel at Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the guitar thing coming up. Yeah. And then vocally... God, what's going on tonight? There's, I hear there's what's something going on. What's going on tonight? <laughs> <laughs> what is yeah. going on what's tonight? What's going on tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Must be something. Yeah, yes. we have Pivot at the yeah. Washington uh, Cracker Building at 7 o'clock. It is free. There are suggested donations. We have Kellen will be there. Uh, we have Kent Hoffman will be there. We have yeah. members of the community tell, telling eight-minute true stories mm-hmm. without notes. About I have to a, say, it's, it's really powerful. It's totally worth it to go. It's it's a really magical, th- and some of the stories are just really. I, I, I can't wait. Moving. That's a great human connection right there. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll absolutely. have a musician there too tonight. Yeah. Uh, we'll have right. Carrie Marguerite Who there. Oh, sure, we know Carrie. Yeah, yeah. She's wonderful. So she will be there tonight, and then maybe next time we can have Kellen and Michael perform. <laughs> I didn't fun. even think about it. It's yeah. just as soon as I said, that, I thought, oh sure. boy, that was a missed opportunity. <laughs> okay, so uh, thank you, Keller, and thank you, Michael, yeah, for coming in. That was wonderful. So it was a great, great conversation. Great uh, you're listening to KYRS, Medical Lake Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FN. So long till next week. So long.